There's a movie that probably a lot of you have seen called The Day After Tomorrow. I'm, I'm just guessing because it's been out for a while and it's full of action and suspense. Um, maybe some of you haven't. But in the Day, Day After Tomorrow movie, uh, things are not going well on the earth. Um, there's just, just catastrophic uh, weather shifting that's been permanent. There's tsunamis everywhere. There's tornadoes where there shouldn't be, blizzards where there shouldn't be. I mean, things are just going crazy. Stuff's in a bad bad situation. And um, in fact, it, it, one of the, the most gripping parts of the movie, as you see here on the screen, uh, in Manhattan, there's this huge tidal wave that comes and everybody's running away from it and they're trying to get indoors as fast as they can. Uh, and the, um, the movie kind of centers around this group of kids um, the son of, of the scientist who discovered all these crazy shifts that are happening all over the world, the climate change and everything, uh, the son of that scientist is there in this building after escaping from this tidal wave. He and his classmates are, are there for a, uh, an academic competition, and now they're stuck. And he talks to his dad on the phone, and his dad says, whatever you do, make sure you stay indoors because it's about to get really cold really fast. There's going to be this, this great big polar blast that's going to come down from the atmosphere, and uh, he says the, the temperature is going to drop to negative 150 degrees. So everything is going to freeze immediately on contact. I mean, as soon as you step outside, in seconds you'll just completely freeze. And so he, he goes and he tells his friends what's going to happen, and all of a sudden people are starting to leave to get out of the building and to try to kind of make it on their own and, and find higher ground. And he, he grabs a policeman and he says, no, you can't do that. I've just talked to my dad. Anybody that goes outside will freeze. It's going to drop to negative 150. We've got to stay in and just try to stay warm. The policeman doesn't believe him, and he organizes a group to leave. And so then this kid starts just grabbing everybody. I mean, he's desperate. He's panicked, and he's grabbing everybody. He says, no, don't go outside. You'll die. You've got to stay here. Please believe me. You can't go out. If you go out, you will die. The only safe place is right here. Please listen to me. Believe me. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. And only two or three end up believing him. They take his word for it. The word that he received from his dad that he believed, he then told others about. He told them this, this word of warning, and only two or three listened. They stayed. They ended up surviving. And all the people that left to make their own way across the, the frozen areas died, as, as the warning was. And, and so despite his warning, not everybody listened. But that wasn't his responsibility, this guy's responsibility was just to believe the word that he got from his dad who knew what he was talking about. He was a scientist. He was following all the patterns. He had the information. He told his son what to do about it. His son believed him, and then he did the only thing he could do, warn everybody else. And then it was up to them. They had to make a decision. Are we going to believe this word or not? In Ezekiel 3.18, God says to the prophet Ezekiel, if I say to the wicked person, you will surely die, but you do not warn him, you don't speak out to warn him about his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person will die for his iniquity. Listen to this. Yet I will hold you responsible for his blood. Quite the pressure on the prophet Ezekiel. 
Quite the responsibility on Ezekiel, right? Ezekiel, I've commissioned you to go and and warn the wicked of their wickedness in order to save their life, in order to to urge them to repent, in order to, to urge them to come to me. If they don't do that, they're gonna still, they'll, they'll be judged. They will die in their iniquity. But if you don't warn them, if you don't do what I have commissioned you to do, if you don't carry out this word of warning, then I'm gonna hold you responsible for them dying in, in judgment for their iniquity. Wow. Aren't you glad you're a prophet, Ezekiel? Whew. And, and though the direct context was personally Ezekiel and, and specifically Israel, that this was about this warning and this, this judgment, um, it, it definitely was. However, the concept and the principle is absolutely applicable and relevant to all of us. What I mean by that is this, believers, believers, we are what God uses to warn the world. We are what God uses to warn the world. We, you and me who are in Christ, we are His method for announcing the message and means of His mercy. There's judgment that's going to come on on iniquity. There's judgment that's going to come on unbelief. The day of the Lord will happen. It's an absolute reality where all will be called to account. What have you done with the gospel? That's going to be the question. It's not, were you good enough? Did you go to church all the Sundays you could? How many Bible verses did you know? Did you sing in church? How many times did you pray? What did you give in the offering plate? None of that's going to be asked. The question is going to be, what did you do with the gospel? What did you do with Jesus? That's the question. So a day of reckoning will come where all humanity will have to answer for living life outside of Christ or living life in Him. But it's up to us who are in Christ to pronounce that reality, to give that word of warning to the entire world. It's up to us. We're the instruments. We're the tools. We're the megaphone through which God is shouting His call to repent and find mercy instead of judgment. God's call is not one of of, uh, just wrath and and judgment and impending doom just for doom's sake, just for judgment's sake. His call is to warn people of judgment that will happen for unrepentant sin, but in that call is the call to receive the provision that He already made to escape that wrath and to escape that judgment. It's a call of mercy. Mercy is available, God is saying. Grace is available. I will hold you to account for your sins, and you will answer for them if you don't receive the provision that's already been made for you through my Son. Because I was willing to put all of humanity's sin on my Son. I was willing to judge Him instead of you. Will you receive that? Will you accept that? Will you yield to that? That's the call that's going out from God, and and we are the megaphone through which He shouts that. 
We are what God uses to warn the world, believer. We are His method for announcing the message and means of His mercy. Romans 10.14 says this, gives a very clear and logical question and line of thought. The Apostle Paul says, How then can they call on Him they have not believed in? He's talking about the unbelievers. He's talking about the lost, the world. How then can they call on Him, Jesus, they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about Him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And that is not something that's just for me. That's not something that describes me in my capacity as pastor or another pastor. That, that word is describing anyone who is a message bearer. And to be a message bearer, you have to receive the message. To receive the message, you need to believe the message, right? Just like the, the kid did in Day After Tomorrow when he hears what's going to happen from his dad and he believes it and he tells everybody about it. That's what this is describing. It's describing everyone who comes to Christ, who has received the message of the Gospel, who's believed it, who's internalized it, now they are to go out and be a messenger of the message they have believed and received. That's you and me. If you are here, if you're sitting here in these chairs and you have at any point in your life surrendered your life to the Lordship of Christ, He is your Savior, He is your Lord, that means you've heard the message of the Gospel at some point and in some way. You've heard it, you've believed it, you've devoted your life to it, now you are a messenger of that message. And the same questions that Paul asks here are the questions that we need to ask. Well, how... How can they call on Him, the One who will save them, if they haven't believed in Him? Obviously, the answer is it's not going to happen. How can they believe without hearing about Him? They can't. Which then means it's on us as the preachers of the message of the Gospel, the message of hope, the message of life, the message of rescue. Because one, at one point, there will be a tidal wave of judgment that will come on all the earth, on all mankind. And only those who are in Christ will have rescue from it. Do you believe the Word? That's really what it comes down to for, for us. Do you believe the Word? Do you believe God's Word? Do you believe what it says about Him and what it says about you? Do you believe the Word? What it says about God and what it says about us, that He is the Creator, we're the created. We're therefore accountable to Him. We're responsible to Him. He is holy, perfect, righteous. We are unholy, imperfect, unrighteous. He has a perfect standard of righteousness. He has a perfect holy law to which He as the lawgiver and the Creator of all things has every right to hold all of us accountable to and does. That we, despite all of our best efforts, are drowning in the tidal wave of our own sinfulness and our own separation from this holy, perfect, righteous God. We have no means of keeping His law. We have no means of saving ourselves. We have no means of finding hope, purpose, life, joy, or anything else in any where or any way that we look. We're, we're totally destitute. And we all stand guilty as charged for all of our wickedness, for all of our sinfulness before this holy, 
righteous, just God. That's what the Word says. Do you believe that? But here's the other thing the Word says. And it is such good news. But God. All that is true, but God. But God is rich in mercy, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance through the Lord Jesus Christ. See, this God who is perfect in His justice and right in all of His judgments is also, the Word tells us clearly, page after page, line after line, sentence after sentence, from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, that this God is also perfect in mercy, perfect in grace, perfect in love. So much so that He was willing to send His only Son to come and take on our humanity. To, to walk as a human, to be truly fully man, though he was fully God. And the whole purpose of that was not just to kind of see what it was like, not just to experience humanity. I mean, remember, he made humanity. He didn't need that to happen. He didn't need to be informed on humanity. That wasn't why he came. That wasn't why he became man. No, it was for one purpose. To go to the cross to become sin for us that we through Him might become the righteousness of God. That's what the Word says. It's what the Word of God says. Page after page, word after word, beginning to end. The question for all of us is, do you believe it? Believe the Word? The answer is yes. Then there's only one course of action. Tell the world. Tell the world. If you believe the Word, what it says, if you truly can say that, then the the only logical thing to do with that is to go out and tell the world what you believe and what they need to believe. If we really believe the good news of the Gospel church, if we really do, and we really believe what the Bible says are the consequences for rejecting it, for rejecting the gospel and the Jesus the gospel proclaims, if we really believe those consequences that are clearly laid out, then the only reasonable, loving thing to do is to tell them and warn them and to do that continually, constantly, not to keep it to ourselves, If we believe it, we need to tell it. It's the only loving thing to do. It's the only kind thing to do. And that's something that even an atheist understands. Watch this. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible 
and not tell them that. I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. How much do you have to hate someone not to tell them that there's a heaven and a hell, not to tell them about everlasting life, and not to tell them about everlasting death if they don't respond to the only means to everlasting life, which is in Jesus Christ? It's a good question, right? How much do you have to hate someone? If you really believe, I mean with every fiber of your being, if you believe what the Word of God says about all of our destiny, which is to live forever somewhere, and that's mankind's destiny. We will live forever somewhere. We'll either live in perfection and in righteousness forever in heaven, or we'll live in torment and judgment forever in in a living death for all of eternity in hell. That's all there is to it. I mean, really, when it comes down to it, that's the choices. And if we really believe that there is a way of avoiding the, the hell, the eternity in hell, and it's found in Jesus Christ and we know Him and we believe that, how much do we have to hate someone not to tell them? That was Penn Gillette, who is part of Penn and Teller, it's a magic uh, illusionist duo that's been around for a very long time. They're both um, clearly outspoken uh, atheists and uh, very hostile to, uh, you know, to organized religion and faith. And what he was describing, though, was a show that uh, this man had been to. And after the show, he came up to to Penn and and said, uh, "Wow, great show! It was just it was wonderful." And he said, "Hey, I, I have something for you if you'll take it." And he had a Bible that he gave him, and he had written a little note in the cover uh, to Penn Gillette, telling him. Uh, this is, this is true. This is reality. And he gave his contact number, and he said, if you have any questions about what you read, please get in touch with me. I mean, just a, a random guy that was at the show who was a believer, and he said, I, I can't sit by and not tell this man. And that's what was so impressive to Penn uh, Gillette. He, he said, wow, you know, I, I don't believe. I'm an atheist, but I respect that. We have the only means of rescue We have the only source of healing. We have the only provision for life, believer. We have it. We have it. And it's up to us to not just keep it, but to share it, to proclaim it, to tell it. And it's the only reasonable, loving thing to do in light of all that we have received and in light of all we know. We talk about what amazes us and what we're passionate about, right? That's what we all do. We talk about what amazes us and, and what we're passionate about. We talk about things that we're interested in. We talk about hobbies. We talk about new restaurants we found that we love and we want others to know about it. We talk about movies that we saw that we really like. We talk about our favorite sports teams and those amazing games that we just watched. Hey, did you see the game? What an amazing play. Did you see that? How could you have missed that? We talk about um, all sorts of things that we're interested in. We talk about all sorts of things that grab our attention and that we're passionate about, causes we believe in. We talk about what we love. And we talk about what we believe in all the time. 
We fill social media pages with it. We, we fill text messages with it. We fill phone conversations with it. We fill face-to-face interactions with it. We're good at talking about what we're passionate about, what we believe in, what we love. And we do that naturally. Then why is it so hard and so absent in our conversations to bring the Gospel out into that? Could it be either A, we don't really believe it, and we fooled ourselves into thinking that we do, or B, we do believe and we have believed, but somewhere along the line we lost our passion, we lost our urgency, we lost our burden. Probably both. Probably both. In the American church in which we are part of and find ourselves. We've grown cold. We've grown complacent. We've grown too casual. Meanwhile, every moment, every second, actually, people leave this life and they go into eternity. And they will go either into a Christ-filled eternity or a Christless eternity. It's only things on the table. And if we had the chance to warn them and did not, then believer, I just have to believe that God will respond to us the way He warned Ezekiel. doesn't mean that our salvation would be at stake, but I just have to believe God will say, in some way, or shape, or form, you had the chance. I, I put you in a position. I gave you the tools and the resources to warn them and to tell them, and, and that you didn't. And they're still responsible for their choice, and they're still responsible for their action. It is on them. But my child, you share some of the responsibility for that. Some of the blame lies at your feet. And oh, how we will weep if we hear that. I guarantee it, we will weep. See, the Bible doesn't say that when we come into eternity, when we're in the presence of God and and of our Savior, that there will be no crying. It doesn't say that. It says, He will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and there will be no more crying. But I, I just have to personally believe, and you can disagree with me, that's fine if you do. Personally, I believe that some of our weeping, it will involve weeping uh, filled with joy at at seeing what we see and seeing Christ face to face finally and and seeing the beauty and the glory and the wonder of heaven and knowing we're perfect finally and and we're with Him forever. I think there will be tears of joy, but I think there will also be tears of sorrow at knowing we lost and missed opportunities to have others there with us that could have been. I think we'll weep at knowing we're to blame for some of those that are in torment. We can can use that as motivation. Maybe that's what we need to do. Use that as motivation. Because we do talk about what amazes us, and we talk about what we're passionate about. We talk about what we love and what we believe in. And for the Christian, for the Christian, the gospel should be at the top of each of those categories. What we love, what we're passionate about, what we believe in, what drives us. The the gospel should be at the very top of those categories. We should just 
We should not be able to stop ourselves from telling others about the gospel. We shouldn't be able to keep ourselves from, from letting everybody around us know about what we know and what we have in our lives and the remedy that is ours, the rescue that we know, the life that is ours. We, no one should be able to restrain us. No uncomfortable, awkward situation. No law, if it ever gets to that point where it's truly illegal in this nation to proselytize. I mean, maybe it'll come. It hasn't yet. What have we done with that freedom? We've just sat in our chairs and grown spiritually fat because we haven't exercised the gospel. But there should be nothing that should keep us as believers from professing and confessing and proclaiming all the truth and the life that we know that is ours that could be everyone else's around us. It shouldn't be able to keep us from it. It should thrill our heart. We should be barely able to stay on the ground full of such joy and enthusiasm to tell others of the truth and life and salvation that we know that we have that could be theirs too. Let me tell you about what I know. Let me tell you about the Savior that I know. Let me tell you about the One who rescued me, that gave me life. And this is not limited to adults, by the way. This is not limited to people who have uh, been saved so many years. You, You can only be saved this many years before you're able to go out and passionately proclaim what you know and the faith that is yours. No. No. Starts starts small. It starts young. It's possible for children. It's it's something that should be true of the believer who just gave their life to Christ. Their their immediate response and what should fill their heart is this joy now to go and then tell someone, anyone, what they just experienced. That should be what marks every believer. Aiden Clark, nine years old, Last, uh, actually, it was two weeks ago now, right? Two weeks ago, committed his life to Jesus Christ. Little Aiden Clark, nine years old. And you know how I am, you know what? No, let's not amen. Let's, let's do this. That, I mean, we, we, we clap and we applaud when a person puts a ball through a hoop, right? I mean, we should clap and, and applaud when someone gives their life to Christ and is, is sure of life for eternity, you know? Um, but Aiden Clark, uh, he did that, and, and you know how I know it was, it was legitimate and true without being with him in his home and in his school and observing his life? I mean, I haven't done any of that, but I, you know how I know it's so genuine for Aiden Clark? It's because he could not wait to get on the phone with me and say, Pastor Chris, guess what? I gave my heart to Jesus. And he was asking his mom, uh, when, when can I talk to him? When can I talk to him? And so we talked, and he was just so excited. And um, I said, you know what, Aiden, here's the thing you need to do. You need to make sure that you go and you tell your friends at school, and you tell other people around you what you did. And he said, oh, I already did that. <laughs> See, that's, that's genuine conversion. That's what happens with a, a person who realizes what they've received. I've, I've received heaven now. I've received eternity. I've been brought from death to life. I've been given all of eternity through my giving of myself to the one who gave himself for me. And, and you just can't keep that to yourself. How heartless would it be if we had the cure to the coronavirus that is you know, going crazy right now and and causing such fear and panic. Understandably, it's, it's something that uh, naturally, humanly causes some fear, right? 
how heartless would it be if we had the cure to that, to solve it, to make it go away, and we just kept it to ourselves, or, or we had the cure for something worse even than coronavirus, like cancer or leukemia, and we had the cure and we just kept it to ourselves, that'd be pretty heartless, right? I mean, it wouldn't matter how many times we say, oh, I, I care about my fellow man, I really do. If we kept that to ourselves, our words would mean nothing. Our actions would show, no, we don't care about our fellow man. We can't say that anymore. My fellow Christians, we have the remedy for humanity's most fatal infection of all, which is their sin and their separation from God. That's mankind's most fatal infection and most chronic disease. The sinfulness that we were all born to, and the sinfulness that we all choose, and the separation from God that is a direct result of that, and the coming judgment on that. That's humanity's most pervasive problem. And we have the remedy for it. We have the way of escaping that. We have the cure. We've been given the high honor of being used of God to give it out and to to bring people to Him for true and lasting healing. We we don't heal anybody of their sin. We, We don't eradicate that sin disease. But we have the remedy, we have the answer for it, and we have the ability to take them and bring them to the one who will cure them, who will provide that remedy. Here's what 2 Corinthians 5, 17-20 says. 2 Corinthians 5, 17-20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything or all of that is from God who has reconciled us to Himself through Christ, hallelujah for that, and has given us, the reconciled ones, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God the Father was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. There's grace, there's mercy, because He had every right to do that. And He has committed the message of reconciliation, the Gospel, to us. Therefore, we, you, me, all who are in Christ, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making His appeal through us. We're the conduit of the appeal of God. Here's what the appeal is. We plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Reconciliation is possible. You stand separated from Him now by your sin. You stand condemned already. As soon as you're born, you're born condemned to death. Rightly so. Inherited through Adam and Eve and then chosen as a fallen human. But God, who is rich in mercy, has made reconciliation possible. Has made rescue possible has made regeneration possible. And that's what we plead on Christ's behalf. God making His appeal through us. See, once we respond to the call to come to Jesus, He uses us to bring others to Him. Isn't that just astounding to think about? Once you have have responded to the call, you've obeyed the call to repent, you've obeyed the call to, to turn to Jesus, the call that He has given you, 
and the, the faith and the empowerment He's given for you to respond, once you do that and you're awakened from your death and from sin, He then uses you, weak as you are, fallen as you are, frail as you are, selfish and still sinful as you are, He uses you and me to bring others to Him to find the same reconciliation and restoration and new life that we have now experienced. It's an amazing gift. Come, be reconciled to me. Once we do, he says, okay, now go and bring others to me so they can have that too. What a privilege. And church, we, we do this at home and abroad, locally and internationally. And we don't do it in our own strength or by our own power. We can't. Here's what Acts 1.8 says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, the direct context was the original disciples. That's who Jesus was speaking to. And the Holy Spirit did indeed come upon them in this amazing display of power, and He equipped them, and they went out, and they went out to Jerusalem. And, and then after uh, persecution forced them out of Jerusalem, then they went to all Judea and Samaria, and they ultimately to the uttermost or the ends of the earth, which is why we've been able to receive the gospel as Gentiles. So it happened. But here's the thing. The same call is on all of our lives. It's the same call. The great commission that Jesus gave in Matthew 28, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel, teach all nations, make disciples of all nations. That great commission is for all of us as well, not just the original disciples. You know that. You know that. The same is true of Acts 1.8, that like the original disciples, we too are called to go out and to be the witnesses of Jesus. And like the disciples needed, we too need the empowerment of the Spirit of God. And guess what? We have it. You don't need any more power of the Spirit of God than what you have already that you received at salvation. He just needs more of you. He needs you to believe this call and to surrender to it. The specific locations mentioned there in Acts 1.8, that translates for us as well. That's applicable to us as well. Translates to us for what is known and familiar, our familiar and known and comfortable surroundings. That's Jerusalem and, and Judea. It translates to uh, being willing to go out and give this call to areas and places and people that are uncomfortable and, and difficult. That's Samaria. It also covers what is unknown completely, what is different and what is distant. That's the ends of the earth. See, it's all applicable. We find ourselves in the same exact situation that the disciples did as they received that call. So what that means is every Christian, every Christian needs to take the call of Acts 1-8 personally and commit to carrying it out locally and globally. One practical way we can do that is, as I mentioned at the beginning of our gathering today, they held up that paper, it's through our faith promise. That's one very practical way we can do that. Through giving here locally, we can give of our finances and our resources, knowing that it will go out into Judea and out into Samaria and out into the uttermost parts of the earth, as it were. You know, we, we may not physically go over there, but we can give our resources that will go over there, and then we have a part to play in what God is doing in those other areas. But we also go. We don't just stay here. And we've heard that great opportunity from the Kopazes 
what an opportunity this summer to go and, and be part of what's happening in Hungary with young lives that will then go back home and tell others what they heard and received and know now to be true from their time at camp. See, it's all about multiplication, and you'll have a part in that. So it's being part of, of this work locally and globally, and whatever context we find ourselves in church, we do it with the power and direction of the Spirit of God within us and the help of our brothers and sisters beside us. We don't do it alone. This is not a solo endeavor. We do it together, and we do it together as people who are indwelt with the very Spirit of God. Amen? So let's get to it. Let's get to it. That's really all there is to say in response to all of this. Let's get to it. Let's go. Let's go. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we who are in Christ have been gifted with not just salvation, but we've been gifted with the very faith to believe in the message of the gospel. We've been gifted the faith and the empowerment to receive what we needed to receive. Thank you for the work of your Spirit, quickening us to life, raising us from the dead. And as ones who have been resurrected, as ones who have been given new life through your Son, May we not stay silent. May we not be cold. May we not be complacent. May we be so burdened to proclaim the truth of the gospel, the only source of rescue, the only source of remedy, the only true healing for mankind's most pervasive, uncurable condition, our sin and our separation from you. May we be so burdened by that that we're willing to go where it's uncomfortable. We're willing to have that awkward conversation. That we're so consumed with joy and with the power of the Spirit that none of those things will matter. That will be so that will be so overcome by uh, the, the passion to proclaim the gospel that it will absolutely eclipse any nervousness or uncertainty or awkwardness. Empower us by your Spirit, please. Help us to rally around one another, to to spur one another on, to be the messengers of the message we've believed and received. Guide us by your Spirit. Let us see the opportunities that you've placed before us. Father, may none of us have to hear from you. Why didn't you warn them? Why didn't you tell them? I gave you every opportunity. May instead, may what we hear be, well done, good and faithful servant. You gave yourself to giving the gospel. Well done. You seized the opportunities I placed before you. You told them. Know that that they heard the gospel from your lips. You're in in no way to blame for their decision. May that be what we hear. And may all that we say and do be out of gratitude for what we have received from you and out of awe at the truly miraculous reality of salvation. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.